Past the Tokyo, welcome to London and welcome into By Order of the Peaky Blinders, a spoiler-free podcast breaking down every single episode of the 1920s family drama on Netflix and BBC. I'm your host, Daniel Gilman. And I'm Josh Levy. This is episode two of the second season. And Daniel, we've got some new major characters, baby. I'm going to say that right now in this episode, we meet maybe two of the best added characters in TV show history, at least... At least in my opinion, Josh. There's some clout upon this uh, this cast that we're about to be introduced to. And this is when I started to like know that Peaky Blinders was in the upper echelon of TV shows. Because they're bringing in some big dick actors. Gotta be a show, obviously, that attracts fans and then actors who are fans. Because Tom Hardy was a fan of the show. He wanted to be a part of it. And then Finn Cole, I don't know if he makes his you know prestige television debut here but he's the younger brother of Joe Cole, who is the, you know, the, the actor who plays John. And then he goes across you know, to America to star in the you know, similar family gang drama for Americans in the 21st century called Animal Kingdom, which is on TNT. Wait, so Finn Cole's fantastic in that. I did, he's the younger brother of, of the actor of John? Yeah, Joe Cole and Finn Cole, bros in real wow. life and cousins in Peaky World. I did not know that, damn. Thank you for uh, dropping that wisdom on me, Daniel. That's what we're here for. And if you like more wisdom, you can go ahead and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash peakypodcast. We post all the relevant information of when new seasons are dropping, when new directors are added. We're on Twitter at By Order of Peaky. And as always, click subscribe, click follow, whether you're on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts, or anything else. Make sure that you share and you, you let us know what your feedback is. We want to know. We have our winner. We have our loser from every episode. We have our favorite quotes. We want to hear yours. So you can comment on our social media pages or you can email us at bootpeakyblinders at gmail.com. Now, Josh, this episode and entire season directed by Cole McCarthy, written by Stephen Knight. I think this episode is one of the best scene setting episodes that we've had so far. So not a premiere or a finale and, and I even kind of like the description because it gives a broad description of the episode as opposed to really diving in. It says, after murdering an Irish dissident, Tommy has no choice but to be a pawn in Inspector Campbell's treacherous political game. Back to that uh, Tommy's playing playing chess while everyone's playing checkers reference, which which I love. This is a better des- description. They're, uh, they're not giving too much away here. So let's uh, dive in and see, see what we got going on in episode two. This episode starts with a song other than Nick Cave's Red Right Hand. I think it's the first time in the series as we get the uh, the melancholy, sweet voice of PJ Harvey and the song Broken Harp ringing out. Tommy's in the hospital. Tommy looks like he's uh, he's going to die. He really, Josh, looks like a soldier that just got blown up on the battlefield after getting kicked just bloody over and over again by Sabini's men. He had a tooth pulled out. Ada's almost going to die. She, it looks like she is actually very close to being killed until a Peaky Blinder saves him by killing the man. Ada kicks the Peaky Blinder in the balls. Tommy is saved and, and has a meeting with the inspector. And we are off and running as insult after insult is being wrung out, whether it's by Ada to the Shelbys or by Tommy to the inspector by calling him out for getting shot by a woman. And, like, I mean, Ada, like, you just got your life saved, okay? And she socks the dude in the nuts because he called her a Shelby. 
So, I mean, we know where uh, Ada's Ada's allegiance lies. I mean, not, not necessarily her allegiance, but where her thoughts are. But come on. I mean, th- don't sock the dude in the nuts. Yeah, Ada Ada's a thorn, and she just doesn't have a husband anymore. Tommy ends up buying both Ada and Polly these big houses. You know, Fantastic real estate move here. I mean, this is a an 85-year in the future look at, at how to make money because getting involved in the real estate business, Josh, is just a genius move by Tommy. Maybe not a genius move is to uh, continue keeping tabs on your ex-love in Grace because both the inspector and Tommy knew exactly where Grace lives. That's Poughkeepsie, New York. And they know that she's married to a very successful banker. I wonder what Grace's life is like with this very successful banker. If she's thinking about Tommy, if she has regrets and it's kind of uh, I feel like it might be something that's intentional to, to kind of have us think about and ponder over as we uh, progress throughout this season, because I, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I miss Grace. I miss Tommy and Grace. I think Grace calms Tommy down a little bit, and I just I just wish they were back together. She's going to send him a letter, and he's going to burn the letter, and I am so frustrated because I want to know what she wrote to him. I can't believe he burned it. We could talk about that maybe a little bit at the end. Tommy's got a great zinger before Campbell explains that he's going to use Tommy and has this leverage because he saved his life and, you know, his, his life is in his hands. And Tommy goes, I imagine being shot by a woman hurts the same as being shot by a man, just a little bit more shameful. And then uh, when I got shot, they gave me a medal. No medal for you, I bet. Before we, kind of, we, we, get, a, we, get, we get mention of those gallantry medals that Tommy doesn't give a shit about, but he has no problem using it as a uh, zinger to Mr. Pringles. And Mr. Pringles t- takes a shot to the heart right there. And, and you know he's inside. He's like, just, oh, God damn it, I can't take you. All right, so I'm going to tell you right now, my winner of this episode, my winner of this, this series, I love him. I just love him so much. We're going to get to know him really, really soon because Tommy's going to head to London. He is a sitting duck in the hospital. So he grabs Curly, uses him as a nurse and I guess a captain of the boat. And, uh, and we get like this weird methodical montage of another PJ Harvey song called When Under Ether," and it is a banger. It, it's, it's a sick scene. It's probably my favorite scene of the episode is the boat leaves that fire in Asheville backdrop and then slowly goes down the canal all the way down to London where Tommy meets with my favorite fucking character in TV show history. It's Alfie Solomons, the head of this bakery and rum distillery in Camden Town, he's the head of the Jewish mafia in London, as you might call it. And uh, and Josh, what do you think about Alfie Solomon's right away? He clearly doesn't fuck around. And him and Tommy, I think they just have great rapport as they just go back and forth. It's British Bane. It's fucking Tom Hardy as a, as a British Jew. It doesn't really get better than that as he teams up with Tommy. Alfie Solomon's is just a wild card. He's... The, the, on, on first uh, glance of this character and after kind of, kind of listening to him interact with Tommy, he's just so different than every other character we've seen in the show. And I mean, like, yeah, he's, he's Jewish and he's, it's also uh, indicative of the time because, you know, they're, to see how powerful he is in this time being a Jewish person when they're probably being persecuted, there's probably a lot of anti-Semitism going on. And he, and he kind of has that I don't give a fuck attitude. And as we see, he does not give a fuck with what he says. He does, he's not bashful with his words. And I don't know. I mean, I've, I've gone back and forth with, Al, with, with, with Alfie, you know. So 
We'll see, but he is British Bane. I want to know what you guys think about Alfie Solomons, whether you're on my side and you like him or you're on Josh's side and you're a little bit more hesitant. Nonetheless, you can't disagree that he's got the best lines in this episode. It starts with you know him hearing very bad, 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 bad things about these gypsies. Oh, yeah. We hear that Solomons is losing the war with Sabini, so Tommy wants to offer a little bit of protection. And, uh, and Alfie is going to show that he doesn't really need that much protection, Josh. He has a great story about his past with Italians. Right. He tells he, – he tries to intimidate Tommy a little bit. And I'm telling you, this guy's a wild card. So I have no idea what's going to come out of his mouth. And he starts off this little monologue, and I think I have the Alfie impersonation down. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give it a try. Let's hear it. And he goes, I've heard bad, bad things about you, Berbeyan people. I pushed his face up against the trench, shoved a six-inch nail up his fucking nose, and I hammered it home with a duckboard. It was fucking biblical, mate. Talking about literally just destroying somebody. Yeah, he's he's trying to defend the fact that he's not losing this war with Sabini. It was that was solid. You know, I think we're gonna get better. I think you'll get better. I, I'm we're not get better. Repetition, muscle memory. I'm not the uh, impersonation guy. I just can't do it. We we tried before the recording. It's just it's just I wanted to so bad. It's just not gonna happen. Um. Alfie obviously denies, you know, teaming up with Tommy, and he's really getting close to shooting him. I thought, I thought he was going to shoot him. Um, he's talking about what would happen if he killed Tommy, how he would clean the uh, the cabinets behind him, this and that. And then just before he pulls the trigger, Tommy starts to bleed out of his nose, and Alfie just Alfie basically throws him a a, a life support vest. Right. Says, yeah. you know, I always thought you had a big old gold ring in your nose, and then they uh, talk about a plan, and we later learn that they shake hands and uh, and they've got a deal as as we get to meet Darby Sabini. Just to show that uh, the, the killing of Billy Kimber was something that is still being talked about, he, he tells him, he goes, you're the bloke who shot Billy Kimber. You betrayed him. You fucking did it. And I, I also think that it was kind of like a don't fuck with me. I know what you did, and it's not going to happen to me. So we, we, we see Darby Sabini, and I, I, God, I, I, I literally hate him. So much. I think we could both agree that it's just something about his Italian English accent. It's just weird, right? It's it's just weird. Okay. Yes. Yes. I I texted you. I said, "How is this man Italian? He sounds so fucking British." I mean, obviously in the show, you know, like it's like in Chernobyl, how they just made everyone British. It was just British, British and Irish actors, and it was like, okay, it's understandable because if if they want, they just didn't want subtitles throughout the whole show. But here. You know, you can have an Italian accent. So I was confused. No, I think he sounds Italian and British, and I think I it's know. just weird. We'll just have to agree to disagree there. He is an absolute fucking snob. I mean, that's just my instant reaction of Darby Sabini. We get a weird scene with him, you know, hosting a cop, and then him getting so paranoid that the cop says, we'll deal with Tommy, and he's like, oh, you're going to make a deal? You're going to make a deal? And then he's like, I smell shit on your shoe, and then that's, that smell is just a premonition and all in all, he's he's gonna order his right hand man to find and kill Tommy. So I'm I'm worried at this point because Sabini, as you mentioned, is even more of a wild card than Alfie, maybe. And there's a reason why these two guys work so together so well together as rivals. But this fucking guy, I mean, he's weird. We find out that he has a spy in the rum house, so he knows that Alfie is now working with Tommy. And everyone's everyone's got their own ploys here. It doesn't really seem like Sabini's the smartest, but you know, like an Italian, he's gonna think with his heart. And he's going to make emotional decisions while Tommy thinks with his head and he sends a letter to Winston Churchill to be read out loud in front of, I think, everyone of importance. 
as the defense war minister, whatever Churchill is at this point, reads the letter saying that Tommy wants an empire export license so he can transport goods around the world. We hear a few more references to Campbell not serving in the Great War. Everyone raises their hands except for the inspector. We hear that Tommy, and we learn for the first time, that Tommy was in fact a tunneler. We saw flashbacks, but we never really you know, got into it. He was a tunneler. Churchill says that he saved thousands of allied lives. Obviously, Churchill's going to accept his license plea, but makes it known that it's just a temporary license. And uh, and Campbell's not, not happy about it. Campbell wants Shelby dead, and I think Ch Churchill's okay with it. It's just, it's just interesting that Tommy's thinking, you know, five years ahead because this export-import license is going to be huge for the Shelby Company Limited. This is something that is just masterfully done by Stephen Knight because, okay, Winston Churchill is as real as it's going to get in this show, right? So, I mean, it's not necessarily like they're breaking the fourth wall, but they're breaking the fourth wall in a different way because they're combining fiction with, with what's real. And obviously this isn't based off of a true story. So I just think it's so interesting how we're bringing in Winston Churchill, who's this real figure of importance in real life, who it's kind of like they're creating a fake Winston Churchill story, like universe, you know what I mean? I love it. I mean, one of my favorite book series and then movie series is The Da Vinci Code, where it's just historical fiction. It's a lot of history mixed in that Dan Brown, the author, does a good job with. So right away, and I've, I've talked to people who agree, right when you learn that there is a shred of historical accuracy in this, it doesn't have to be all true, but I'll tell you, you know, as the show continues, there are parts of the show that are 100% true. The, peak, yeah, the Peaky it, Blinders yeah. existed in real life. In the, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, the garrison was real. And a lot of these enemies, now Darby Sabini, might represent a real you know, mafia head in London in the early 1900s. But we, we get some real names later on in the show. It makes things more believable. So, you know, you have this real person and it makes all these awful things that you might think are not realistic that would happen very believable. The next uh, big storyline, you might call it like a C plot. We've got so many plots in this episode, which is why I am, you know, so obsessed with it. It's the fact that Tommy goes to meet with Polly's oldest son, Michael. And this is going to lead to a three-part conversation here. The first part is Tommy meeting with Michael out in the countryside. Michael's mom not really wanting him to do anything about it. We learn he's almost 18. And then Tommy gives Michael Polly's card saying that his real mother wants to talk. And then Tommy and Polly have this conversation where they meet in his office. He tells her that her daughter is indeed dead. He's got files on both her daughter and her son. Polly is devastated, but does, uh, you know, does have show a little bit of happiness that she died in Australia, but came all the way back to be a part of her dream. It turns out her daughter, Anna, died of the spring fever. But then, Josh, Michael is alive and well, but Tommy doesn't want to give Polly his address. When Tommy tells Paul that Michael is alive, I've never seen her so happy. This is awesome because we see her in this dark light all the time. She's always dropping wisdom and, you know, she's very melancholy and, and sad. And she's, she's, she's happy for once. And Tommy tells Paul that the woman who calls herself his mother will never, will never let her back here. And Tommy sees a huge, a, a huge issue with this and knows that Paul will get fucked if she tries to meddle in the affairs. And Paul at this point raises a gun to Tommy to tell her where the fuck her son is. Tommy can't tell her where he is because he knows she's going to make a rash decision. And he's so smart and he's so sensible. And he knows that 
it will just end in, in, a, in, in a bad outcome if he tells her where the, the true location of her son is. And she raises the gun to him, and for that very reason, he won't tell her because – and he says to her, if you shoot me, you'll never know. And Paul puts the gun down as it's kind of like a, God damn it, you're right moment. And it led to Michael showing up at her front door as, as the episode ended. And, and I think that line from Tommy showed his maturity. He said, pulling the gun is why I can't tell you. It's just powerful because, you know, he, everything he does is with intention. So he, he knows that he's going to get, not get in Paul's head about it, but he knows that just by telling her will get her happy. So, he, you know, he's not, he's not fucking her by not telling her, but he's trying to save her. And so he's doing it for the better. This might be harder to watch than any of the, the, the battle scenes, any of the killings. It's, it's Michael waiting for Polly as the, as the episode ends, saying, I was here all night waiting for you. Polly shows up like a, like a Monday morning skank, walking back from you know her one-night stand with like the- The walk with, of shame, man. Literally, yeah, the walk of shame with like a bunch of fur on her and- uh, it's cool, Michael. You know, he, he he acts with his face. He's he's really good talking about how he's waited up all night, but still very excited to see his mom and uh, just a very welcome to the Peaky family to uh, to Finn Cole. And I'm really excited about that. And we can talk about that as a, as the episode ends. But first, here's our B plot, and it's it's Arthur killing a young boy while he boxes with him. Clearly, just going out of control. Finn and Jeremiah's son Isaiah are there to find them. Isaiah is another new character, one of Finn's buddies. Jeremiah is the uh, the walking priest from the first season that helps him out in the battle at the end. And yeah, Arthur just kills the kid. Tommy says Arthur's you know murder isn't really a murder, even though you know it probably was. Tommy blames it on a weak heart. It was an accident. He wants it. To, he wants it to be known as an accident in air quotes. Yeah, Arthur says he should have stayed on the medicine, but Tommy. This is a hard scene because Tommy is honestly just using his brother and he just tells him to fuck off and just goes on this long rant about how he can't take care of him like a baby anymore. Arthur calls his brain a boat constantly slipping and tipping and it's a terrible image because it's a mixture of PTSD and like CTE at this point, which is what football players have. Definitely. And I mean, it's, it's sad. It's just really sad. It's disturbing. You know, he beats the shit out of this kid in this boxing ring. I mean, he took someone's life because he's losing his mind. He's taking it out on someone else. And Arthur looks at Tommy after Tommy tells him he doesn't want to deal with the kid anymore. And he's like, I'm not fucking you, Tommy. Everyone knows it. And it's like, dude, we're not playing. A, we're, we're not playing the pity party here. You know, you got to turn your shit around, okay? You got to start stop with this woe, woe is woe unto me kind of attitude. Tommy forces Arthur to look at himself in the mirror, and I thought this was the most powerful scene in the episode. He it's he like, grabs him, grabs him, looks him, look in the mirror. He unloads the pistol. He throws the whiskey into the flames, and Arthur is coddling himself on the floor in front of the fire. And it's just this scene was so powerful. I I mean. It was one of my favorite favorite scenes in the episode, not for like because I liked what happened, the outcome, but I just thought it was powerful and significant and just reaffirming that that uh, leader figure that Tommy is in the family. Yeah, Paul Anderson, it, he was my favorite actor of season one, and he's just he's so wide ranging here, and we see it in the next you know scene he's in when little old Finn 
goes to talk to Arthur and convince him to go to the grand reopening of his own pub filled with gold and splendor, and Finn gives him something the kids are calling Tokyo. And Josh, I'm going to give you a little uh, update here. It's cocaine. And Arthur is back. Arthur's back. New Finn has balls. And man, the next scene is epic as Arthur bursts into the garrison with the Arctic monkeys playing. Hair is looking on point for Mr. Arthur Shelby. And this guy has just been reborn. It kind of glorifies drugs a little bit, but we're going to let it slide because, you know, drugs are bad, kids. Yeah, Finn, you dog. You dirty dog. And I, 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 I told you, I thought this was foreshadowing. I, I thought, I mean, that at this moment, maybe he does, that Arthur was going to go on a coke binge and it was going to go very south for him. But, I mean, at this point, like, what else could go wrong? It can't get worse with Arthur. And Tommy happily gives gives Arthur the cocaine. He's he's more than happy with him to do it because maybe he thinks it'll be medicinal for him. I mean, it's not it's not great. I'm not condoning that, but it can't get worse. Tom does clarify that Arthur needs to do this on just grand openings and race days only because mm. we've all we all know what a doped up horse looks like the next morning, and it looks a little bit like Polly walking home right. from. Uh, from her man's house. And he just has a very addictive personality. No doubt about it. And we, we go to that grand opening now, and there's a cool little interview from Stephen Knight, the creator, who talks about the fact that the bars and the pubs in poor towns in England like Birmingham are so glorious. And everyone is dressed to the nines because that's the only part of their life that they can feel rich and they can feel pressured or powerful and precious. And so that kind of shows this. It's so gold. This, the new garrison, and, and Tommy even makes a note on it, it's so gold, and, and Polly is there, and Polly is ignoring Tommy every step of the way because he won't give her the address. Even Ada shows up, and Ada talks to Polly, and that doesn't really help. Polly's drinking, Polly's dancing with this guy, and, and Tommy kind of talks to Ada about wanting her to come back, and I think she's leaning towards it, but at the same time, you know, what's going on in Ada's head at this point, Josh, in your mind? I can't get a read on her at all. Uh, I mean, she clearly is not happy with the family, but then shows up again. And I, I think she just kind of wants to be included and in the loop on things. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I really can't get, I really can't get a read on her, but you know, she's not in the main fold, but she's kind of in the fold. Tommy then burns that letter that he got from uh, Poughkeepsie, which has to be from Grace. He's sad. He's, he's thinking about her nonstop. It's the big party, and Tommy can't do anything but think about his ex. And then, uh, and then I want to go back and you know, finish this, this recap on a fantastic scene. Maybe one of, the, uh, one of the most nostalgic scenes that makes you feel like you're watching season one, and it's the Moss Campbell reunion, where the sergeant you know, comes in with uh, Campbell's favorite sandwich. It's tongue and pickle sandwiches and then Campbell lays into him Josh for being paid off by the blinders and the inspector he never denies a chance to really paint a great picture yeah he he says speaks his mind about the Shelby's and I don't know I'm, I'm pretty sure I've gotten the uh Mr. Pringles impersonation down pretty pat so he says to Sergeant Moss and says Shelby is a worm and feeds off the rotten parts of your mind. And this this guy this guy has a way with words. He tells uh he tells Sergeant Moss, you know, this is how it is, and goes, Shelby thinks you work for him, but you work for me, and I will use you mercilessly. 
you are now back on the side of angels. That was my favorite quote of, of the episode. I, you know, he's the inspector, as I told you, was the winner of the last episode. And this guy is, is exuding confidence right now. All right, let's get your winner and your loser for this uh, season two, episode two. All right, winner, winner, winner. Who is my winner? This is this is a tough one, man. And I'm not gonna go Inspector Campbell again because he he wasn't really you know in this episode a lot. But I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Alfie Solomon's as my winner of this episode because he's got Tommy Shelby on his side now, and all the cards are stacking in his favor. This doesn't really have anybody against him, it seems, and so. He's got a really big ally in Tommy. I'm just ha- I'm just happy that Tom Hardy's in this show because he's a phenomenal actor. So maybe a winner. Maybe I'm the winner of this episode for uh, for getting Tom Hardy. And l- biggest loser of this episode's got to be Arthur Shelby, man. I mean, we've seen him at his lowest, the low of the lows. He beats a child to death, someone's child, and he's. Things, things are spiraling out of control for Arthur. So I'm going to have to go winner Alfie Solomons for getting the Shelbys on their side, for on, on, on the Jew side, and my, my loser is Arthur Shelby. My winner is our guy Curly. Sleeper. Curly led Tommy, nursed him back to health, went on a four-day voyage through the back canals from Birmingham to London with just, with just oil that you use – to keep the horses from shaking. I mean, all of the odds were against him. Charlie said that Tommy was surely going to die, and yet Curly powered him through it. I love his smile. Curly's easily my mm. winner. And I've got I, I've got a joint loser. I mean, they were both in the episode for a minute each, so I'm going to say two losers in this one. We've got Sergeant Moss, who just gets reamed by Inspector Campbell and just basically laid out to dry, calling you know him a patsy and him basically a soldier for Tommy by saying that a worm crawled into his brain and is talking for him and that the worm's name is Tommy Shelby. And then my other loser, and this one's just the obvious one at the end, is is he's going to be a winner soon, I'm sure, but Michael Gray. I mean, you show up, you have to sit outside your birth mother's house for like eight hours hoping that she's going to come back and then she stumbles back with alcohol in her mouth Maybe some more on her mouth, something besides alcohol. But it's oh, that's just that's just rough. He's he's the loser. I thought he was gonna just like turn around and go home and say fuck this, I'm out. So that's our season two episode two recap. Number three will be posted sometime soon. So please make sure to subscribe and follow so you know exactly when that's up. And if you don't want to do that, all you have to do is go like us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash/PeakyPodcast, and we post every single episode. Or on Twitter at by order of Peaky. We love the feedback, so I want to hear your winner, your loser, and your favorite quote from this episode or anyone you choose. You could post of us on social media or email at bootpeakyblinders at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk to you soon. He's Josh. I'm Daniel. And we binge so you don't have to. Past the bridge, past the mills, past the stacks. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand.